I want to start in John chapter 1. I might miss out a few verses as I'm reading because I want to still catch the run. I don't want to get sidetracked onto a little other bit. Sometimes they get sidetracked. And the Holy Spirit comes along with the person who's written the book and there's a little sidetrack bit, but I don't want to do that today. So we might leave missing verses out as we read. In the beginning was the Word. <laughs> as he said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, for in him was life, and the life was the light of man. You see, we have a living God. That's why he had life. Without a living God, you can't have life. We have to serve a living God. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends or doesn't overcome it or can't understand it. (laughs) The light has shone in our hearts this morning. The light of the glory of God shined in our hearts because we couldn't see without him. John wasn't that light on verse 8, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Now, he was in the world. He's just talking about Jesus. And the world was made by him, as he said earlier on, but the world didn't know him. He came unto his own, that was the Jews, and he re- they received him not. But as many as received him, gave him power or authority or the right and privilege to become sons of God to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. So it's nothing to do with man, your salvation, but of God. Your salvation is nothing to do with you. It's a gift from God. (laughs) And the Word was made flesh. Jesus came. The Word, that spoken thing from God, which created everything, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Those are quite incredible words. They set up the whole of John's gospel who Jesus really is. But I want to look at a word today. A few weeks ago I was in a meeting and a word, somebody said the word fullness. And it went, Whoa. you know how that happens when God speaks inside to you? And uh, so I started looking at the word fullness. Now when we look at the word of fullness, we're going to read some verses. There's about eight verses which have the word fullness, maybe a few more. And when we're going to see, when we read these verses, what I want you to listen for is what the fullness is. And what the fullness does, and what the fullness is all about. First of all, we're going to listen for Jesus as the head of everything, including the church, which is his body. In Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead. 
Everything about God's in Jesus. Everything. The fullness is to be known or experienced by the church. The church is mentioned quite a few times in line with fullness. And the fullness is declared in the gospel of grace and love. Wow. So let's go to Ephesians 1, 23. Now I had a bit of a problem of which, how to put all this together. Because they seemed all sorts of these verses. So we'll be in Ephesians. We've got, well, because we know what Ephesians is like, where it starts. There's three, there's three verses about fullness in Ephesians. And the first one is in Ephesians 1, 23. Now this is a prayer by Paul. And we'll start it, oh dear, where do we start? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's where it comes from. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know, that's Ginoska, you might know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. What is it the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe? Not according to how hard we believe, but according to the working of his mighty power. His mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the same power to cause you to be born again was used to raise Jesus Christ from exactly the same power. And he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and given to him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It's to do with the church. The church is filled with the fullness of God. It's in the church. No one person has the fullness of God living in them, apart from Jesus. But his body does. The church has the fullness of God living in it. And you'll see that's one of the reasons why we should come to church. You won't grow if you stay at home, because the fullness is in the church. And that's the first thing God spoke to me about the fullness, which I didn't realise. The fullness is in the church. If we stop coming to church, we don't get the fullness. Because it comes through everybody else. Now we can have people who have a real relationship with God and God has a special anointing, but even those people need to have the church and the people around them. Let's go on to wrote in, in chapter 3, verse 19. Another prayer of Paul. Well, I start at 14, chapter 3, 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, under whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that's an impossibility, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. We might be filled. He's praying for the people at Ephesus, that the church might be full, filled with the fullness of God. Wow. 
Because <laughs> it's to do with the love of God. The love of God is where some of that fullness is. But we'll see where the fullness is later on. Let's go on to chapter 4, verse 13. Right, and here we have again about the church. He gave some apostles, verse 11, 4, 11, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which is Christ himself. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of Man, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of a stature, or the unity of the fullness of Christ. So that we don't be carried away with all winds of doctrine, he says there, but we, but we speak the truth in love, that we may grow unto him in all things, even which head is even Christ, which, which from the bottom, when they cause, cause, cause about it, all there. But we come to the statue of the fullness of Christ. That's what it's all about in the church. He's talking about the apostles, prophets. Well, the apostles, prophets don't, don't work in a vacuum, they work in the church. They're part of God's ministry in the church to make us come to the fullness. So yes, why you need to be in church? Because one, one thing Alan said years ago, he, he talked about, we all knock bits off each other. It's part of, part of you. When you knock against somebody else in the church, you knock bits off each other. You have to learn to live. That's when you get married. When you're single, you do your own thing. But when you get married, you get your, bit, your edges knocked off. <laughs> and all the people who are married are laughing because they know it's true. <laughs> you get your edges knocked off, you see. And that's what happens in the church. We're built together. And if God says, this bit's not very good at the moment, he's not fitting in properly, I'll have to get somebody to come and say something to him, or something will happen, or a situation, and he knocks bits off us and gets us set in to the church. So we're builded into the house of God, where God dwells. You see, when we come together, it says we come together in his name, he's, we're two or three gathered in his name, in the name of Jesus. Not just in your words, but in the same spirit and life and, and fullness of God. There he dwells amongst us. And that's why we have this manifest presence. We're singing about having the glory. The manifest presence of God comes and lives in, in here. You can come and you can feel it. Even when nobody's in the room, you walk in and you can feel the presence of God because God's come in to the place. Now, how that works, I don't know. How we dwells with a, a set of bricks and bits and bobs, I don't know. But that's God, isn't it? He comes and dwells in, in his church, his people. He's a wonderful God. So it's really important that we see that we need to be together. We need to work together, integrate ourselves for the fullness of God to be manifested. Because you can't do it on your own. God has no super spiritual people. He has ordinary people like you and I who he wants to work through. Ordinary people. They were ordinary people. Now he does have people who are much cleverer like Paul. But there's people like Peter. You see, he comes to transform these people's lives. Because it's within the church that the fullness comes out and becomes manifest to the world. We get encouraged, because when one person is down, somebody else is up. You see, if you're on your own, and you're down, you'll probably stay down. But if you're in the church, 
and you get built up because somebody else comes along and says something. He says, God spoke to me that, that on Sunday because this person spoke. And that's why we have lots of different people speaking in the church. Because God wants everybody to be functioning in what they are, what God has given them. You see, you need to function in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. Your big toe has a big part to play. If you didn't have your big toe, you'd be falling over all the time. But it's a little member. But it has importance. That's what they used to do in old countries. They used to chop people's big toe off and stop them from walking and running. They couldn't do it. Anyway, that's another little bit. <laughs> Colossians 1.19. You see, we're all important. You don't think you're not important. Uh, we go Colossians 1. Where should we start? We're talking about the... God who delivered us, verse 13, Colossians 1, 13, who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, this is what we were thinking about this morning in the communion, who is the image exactly the same as the invisible God. So we can see what God's like by looking at Jesus. He's the image, he's exactly the same, because he is God. When the Holy Comforter comes, he's exactly the same as God because he's God too. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That means he's the first one who was resurrected from the dead. For by him were all things created. Can you see the same verses as he said in John? All, all things are made by him. All things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities and powers. All were created by him and for him. They were for him. You were created for him, for his glory. God wants to show his glory through you, for your life, to see the change. That's where you, become, where you show the glory of God, when you change from being a rebel and all over the place and life in a terrible mess. And God changes your life and makes you a new person. And you become a witness. You become a witness for him because you were created for him. That's what we were created for. We were created for him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We can't go into all those bits and go. <laughs> that in, right. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. I tell you what, global warming won't stop this world existing, because all things exist in him. Everything is in him. Don't worry. Don't listen to the doom mongers. For all things are by him, and all, by him all things consist. For he is the head of the body of the church. Here we've got the church again. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead again. That's the, him who was raised from the dead first. And then we followed him. That in all things, or all he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwells. You see, this church speaks about one person. We don't, he talks about... Jesus more than anybody else because Jesus is the only revelation we have of God. And we do talk about God and we do talk about the Holy Spirit. But we mainly talk about Jesus because he's God's revelation. There are lots of churches that talk about the Lord, they talk about God, and they don't mention the name of Jesus hardly at all, only when they read the Bible. I noticed that many years ago. But we talk about Jesus a lot because he's the one who saved us. And he's God's revelation to us. So it's all about Jesus because he's the head of everything. 
He's the one who sits in heaven and fills the whole of heaven with his light. No one else. Jesus sitting on that throne, filling heaven with his light and glory. There doesn't need to be any, there's no light or darkness in there because he's the light. It doesn't need to have a sun. That's why when he spoke, give, let there be light, it was before we created the stars. They possibly had problems with that. But because he's light, light came before he created the stars. So he's a wonderful God, isn't he? He's so wonderful. So we can see here that all the fullness is in Jesus. The fullness is in the church because he's head of the church and he's given it to us to experience, to understand. In Romans 13, 10, he talks about, remember we looked at the end of it and he said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that is a fantastic verse. In Romans 13, 10, it's the same word again in the Greek. And it says this. Romans 13, I'm on the wrong one. 10. Love, so he's talking about the Old Testament in verse 9 and the law. And he said, the law really is summed up, which Jesus said that, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Love worketh no will to his neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, or the love is the fullness of the law. It's the same word. Love is the fullness of the law. It's because when we get filled with God and the Holy Spirit comes on in us, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we'll, instead of keeping the law to please God and to have blessings from God, like in the Old Covenant, we have it because we have the nature, a new nature of love inside us. The new man automatically wants to keep the law. That's what happens to us. The new is so the law is in the full the fullness of that is the love of God, which is shed abroad. It's the love of God that's in our hearts. It causes us to want to go and tell people about Jesus. It wants to cause us to, to build one another up. Because in ourselves, in our old nature, we're selfish. But in the love of God, we're not selfish at all. We're like Jesus. And that's what he does. So it's not that we do this to get this, but as we experience because we already have it. We live out of it. We live out of what he's given to us. Let's have a look in the other verse in Romans, which has the word, that same word fullness in. In chapter 15, verse 29. Now Paul is getting near the end of his letter here and he's saying what he's going to do. And he said in verse 28, um, I will come, to, come by you un, into Spain, when I come by into Spain. For I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Wow. The fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. This is the real fullness the fullness of, the is, of what he's talking about in, in John is the gospel. It's the gospel. Let's go back to John and read those some verses there. Because that's where I started with when I was looking at this. You see, we've, written, we've read lots of verses, and those are all the verses that talk about the fullness of Christ. And you can see the church is linked to so many of them. 
And the life of God is linked to them. The spirit and the life of God that's in us. Now, let's go into, back into John. Verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, that's verse 14, full of grace and truth. Then he says it again. He says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So this, he says, of his fullness have we all received. Grace for grace, or grace upon grace, or grace heaped upon grace. That's what it means. So what is that talking about? What does he mean by grace and truth? Now we have a problem. God had a problem when man fell. His nature always remains the same. God never changes. In Malachi 3.6, he said, I change not. I'm the Lord your God. I change not. God does not change. There's another thing about God. Is he's eternal. And he's infinite. Infinite. There's no end to him. Whatever thing you start thinking about God is that there is no end. You see, remember we read that bit about the love of God being so high, so low, so wide, so deep? Past understanding that we might know the love of God because he's infinite. Whichever direction you go, the love of God is there. It's infinite. It goes on forever in every direction. But everything else about God is exactly the same. His knowledge of you is exactly the same. When we talk about him knowing, he says he knew the hairs on your head. Now his knowledge about you is infinite. Not only does he know it about every hair on your head, whether you have many or a lot, or a few, and they're getting less, he knows every length of every one. He knew when it started and when it fell out. He knows, he knows which are rough and thick and which are fine. He knows everything about every hair on your body. Spurgeon said, God is so supreme that he knows about every grain of sand in the Sahara Desert and he knows it from the very day it was created and where it will be until the end of time. Every grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. That's what our God is like. His knowledge is infinite about every one of us. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Everything. Now that, for the man in the street, it's pretty frightening. Because <laughs> you think, you see, that he knows everything about me. Yet he still loves us. You see. And the thing about, he's not like us. Now when I was young, and I did things that weren't right, we lived out in the country, and I did something that was right, and my, I could hear my father getting upset. I'd open the door and go off. Until he calmed down. <laughs> you see and we get back hopefully an hour or two later and, the, and it wasn't quite as bad you still got told off but you might not have got a good whacking or something else alright but God isn't like that he doesn't change and this is his problem he is so completely holy 
And this is what it's talking about here when he talks about righteousness. It's talking about grace and truth. The truth of God is always the same. But his grace is always the same. Now let's go and have a look at where I think John, the Holy Spirit got that for John. It's in Psalm 85. Psalm 85, verse 10. Right, now I'll start at verse 8. Oh, we, we, well, we could go on. We, yeah, we'll start there. I will hear, verse 8 of Psalm 85, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield our increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. This is talking about the work of Christ when he came. He says, righteousness shall go before him, and he will set us in the way of his steps. He will. Now that is an incredible promise, but what you notice is the two things again, the same as mercy and truth. There's mercy, oh, so mercy and truth. We had grace and truth before. It's a very similar word. Mercy means judgment withheld. Grace means unmerited favour. They're similar, but they're not the same. Because in the Old Testament, they had lots of mercy. You look at Psalm 136, the 26 verses, and every verse has the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Every verse, 26 times, to get it into your brain. That the, God withholds his judgment because he was looking to Christ Jesus. He withheld his judgment. He did have to do a judgment sometimes to pull them back into line. But here we have two things which are incompatible. Mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. These are completely incompatible with God. And because he's an eternal God and he's infinite, these things go, will never change, and God never changes. So you can imagine him one day thinking, I'll, I'll have mercy on these people, but my righteousness can't allow it. They run along together. And they're, all, they're incompatible to, you know, they're, easy, they're easy on Jesus because he was righteous. Righteousness could see, can you see what I'm saying here? Mercy and truth. See, God's mercy wanted to save us and to, to gather us in. But his truth said they're going to have to be judged. But at no point did mercy overtake truth. Because truth was eternal too. It kept going on. It's like the railway track. It just kept going on. And no one could get in front of the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're, they're two almost things that like about God which are so different, but they're part of his character. They can't change. So I can't go to God and say, well, you, maybe you've forgotten about that thing now, because he never forgets. He knows completely. He never forgets the past. We might forget the past, but he doesn't. So his, his righteousness, and it has, that means our sin had to be judged. 
So there was no way we could come together with God, again, with righteousness and peace. We can't have peace with God and with righteousness because he's holy. That's why they had to have the temple. God dwelling in the temple, separated from the people, because if he'd been with the people, he would have burnt them all up because of his holiness. He had to be kept separate because he was holy and they weren't. And that's the same with us. But it says they met together in Jesus because he lived the perfect life, which we couldn't live. He obeyed because we couldn't obey. Just, just blessed by the verses he said, uh, Dan Med. Because it was because of what he did. You see, and this is why he says grace and truth, you see, are met in Jesus. No other place could those two things dwell together because no man had been perfect before God. No one. No one had been perfect. So they all deserved the judgment of God. But the grace of God is that he sent his only son, Jesus, who lived the life we could never, ever live. He lived it perfectly. And then when he died, your sin, your unrighteousness, was laid on him. And that's how mercy and truth can get met together. Because it couldn't meet before. Because it was impossible. Righteousness and peace. You can only have peace with God when your, when your sin has been dealt with. And it's been dealt with on the cross by Jesus this morning. For everyone here. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other in this person of Jesus. Nowhere else. No other religion deals with the problem. They skirt over it and make you feel all right. But when you get to heaven, your sin will still remain. However you might think you've got it covered. No. And you've got your, made yourself feel a bit better about yourself. Because you are <laughs> comparing ourselves with how we feel and with other people. But when we get to heaven, the light of the glory of God will show up everything. But the problem for the sinner is that it shows up everything. That he's never come anywhere near. So this is the problem with the old covenant. It could never come to the place of keeping all the law. There's a little, ver the little verse. Now, do you remember the story about the sewing of the piece of cloth? Jesus said, if you get a piece of cloth which has not been shrunk and wrought, and sew it onto another piece of cloth which has, it will tear it. Do you remember the story? The little now, what is that word? Filled is the fullness. The fullness of the new cloth can't be put in to the old cloth. Because when it's washed, it will shrink and tear both bits. We can't mix the old covenant and the new. We have to live in the new covenant. It's grace upon grace. It never works anymore. It's grace because he did it all. He did it all. He says, we haven't come to a mountain of fieriness, but we've come to Jesus. Let's, can we just read a bit of that? Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. No. We couldn't, when God spoke from heaven, 
They didn't want to hear him anymore. He said, Moses, you go up the mountain. It was all full of fire. But he says, we have come. We haven't come to that mountain. So terrible was the sight in verse 21 in, in the Hebrews. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And he'd met God and had been with God and God had spoken to him and he was frightened. But you are not, you are come to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, the saints of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than Abel. We come to Jesus, not to the fieriness, because we couldn't cope with it. It would burn us up. That's why when in Jesus these things are met together, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other in Jesus. Jesus, and this is the fullness. The fullness is that what God has done for us. Because after that, what does he say in John 1? He says, grace heaped upon grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. You can't speak enough about the grace of God. Someone said, if people say that you're preaching liberty to do anything and going to accuse you of it, then you may be speaking about grace enough. But he says, you can never speak enough about the grace of God. Because here, this one who the fullness of Godhead lives in, the fullness of God who lives in us and we live in him, he says the great of all his fullness have we all received. You've all received the fullness. Do you feel you feel? Well, that's what it says. <laughs> of his fullness, his fullness of grace. His fullness of his, what he did on the cross. The good news. That's why the good news is the power of God to salvation. Because it's good news. That's why it's good news in the church. Because it changes us when we, when, we, when we get together by the apostles, prophets, and all the people in the church. Because he says, and grace heaped upon grace. That's what it means. Heaped upon grace. Not just grace, but grace so heavy and big. It's eternal. It's, it's limitless. It's infinite. The grace of God is infinite, just like every other part of God. His power is infinite to accomplish it. It never stops when Jesus created the heavens and earth. He wasn't tired. Was he? Because if he had been, he wouldn't have been with, it, with infinite power. God doesn't get tired. Jesus got tired when he, in his manliness, but he didn't get tired inside. Isn't this a wonderful God we serve this morning? We want to get a vision of how infinite and big our God is in our lives. That he heaps grace upon grace. It's not that... See, if you have an idea that I have to do this so that God will bless me, then you're putting the wrong way around. 
I'm blessed because of what Jesus did. It was because of his obedience I entered into the blessing. The people in the Old Testament, especially the Jews, entered into the blessing of Abraham because Abraham was of faith. It's by our faith of looking at what Jesus has done for us, not what we do, but what he has done. Grace heaped upon grace this morning for everyone here. Whatever you need from him, there's grace heaped upon grace. It's so and it goes on for eternity. His mercy goes on for eternity. When we get to heaven, his mercy goes on for eternity. His grace goes on for eternity. His love goes on for eternity. His power, his knowledge, every attribute of God is infinite and eternal. Infinite and eternal. He has power to save, as we sang, because he's infinite. He's an infinite God for you today. In whatever situation you're in, I have to say that to myself, we're all in situations. He's an infinite God who heaps grace upon grace. And so there's such a big pile of grace that you can't see around it. That's what you want to find. To see so much grace that it wipes out everything else. And all you see is the grace of God in your life. And that's why we're thankful. That's why we're thankful. Because we didn't deserve a, th a thing of it. Not a thing. Nothing of it. Not one thing do we deserve the love and the grace of God. But he sent his son so we can have grace heaped upon grace this morning. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, that we might see the mightiness, the glory of the grace of God upon our lives. That you've chosen us. You called us. You set us apart for yourself. Even though we were so far away from you, you did it all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.